Okay, we're in Joshua 14, verses 6 to 15. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the joy of worship this morning. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together as your family and here finding our seat at your table. Today, this morning, Lord, we want to feast on your word. We want to feast on your heart. We want your love to pour into us and then out of us so that the world will know this treasure that we have found, this treasure that has found us. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would remove all distractions in Jesus' name. We pray that, Lord God, you would send your spirit to clear our minds of any and all confusion, distraction, fear, shame, guilt. Lord, just wipe them away in Jesus' name. Instead, Lord, would you come? Abba, would you come close and have your way with us? You are tender and kind, you are faithful. And our eyes are on you. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So our question for this morning as we get started is simply this. Are we fighting the wrong battles? In our lives, in our world, are we fighting the wrong battles? There's this scene in The Lord of the Rings, right? How many of you have read or seen The Lord of the Rings? Uh, a different question. How many of you have not read or seen The Lord of the Rings? Oh, my goodness. Okay, that was a total shame right there. That was shame. I apologize. Uh, if you've not, you need to. It is epic on every level. The book is always better than the movie, but the movie is amazing, right? So this is a scene where Bilbo Baggins, who's a, who's a, uh, a hobbit, um, he is getting ready to leave. 
He wants to retire because he's 111 years old, but he hasn't aged a day because he has this ring of power that he has found that is extending his life and giving him all sorts of power, but at the same time, it's stealing his very soul. The light of his person is being sucked out of him by the darkness that is imbued in that ring. And his friend Gandalf is beginning to see it. Gandalf is a wizard. Gandalf comes to Bilbo to try to get him to leave the ring to Frodo. Get rid of it. You need to distance yourself from it. And this scene unfolds where Bilbo's talking, it seems like to himself, but it's not just to himself because there's whispers coming seemingly from the ring, from this darkness, and it's whispering to him, and it's convincing Bilbo that, that Gandalf is his enemy, and he's there to steal the ring from him, and I love what happens next because Gandalf, he, who looks like just a regular dude there, all of a sudden goes, he powers up. He says, Bilbo Baggins, right? <laughs> Do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. He says, I am not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. And Bilbo powers down, right? <laughs> I might have seen this movie a few too many times. <laughs> if my ears start to get pointy, you know why, right? So there's this scene. I love it because of what Gandalf is doing is being a friend to him. He's getting in his face. He's telling him, he's confronting him in the lies that he's believing, but he's loving him with a strong, steady, compassionate love. Because you see, Bilbo had started fighting the wrong battle. He didn't realize that the enemy was not his buddy. The enemy was the darkness that was found in the ring that was driving all the rest of the story to hell in a handbasket. We live in a broken world, friends. There's all sorts of stuff that goes on that as we enter into this Christmas season, we feel, don't we? It's all around us, it's inside of us, it's in our relationships, we feel it and it hurts. And because we live in a broken world, there's all sorts of fallout that happens in our hearts, in our bodies, in our relationships, and we wish it was different. One of the things that we almost said at the uh, announcement time that I wanted to say for this time is the sad announcement that we have to postpone our Israel trip a year, which should come as no surprise because they're still at war, right? They're still at war. So the call for us is to pray, to pray, to pray, to pray for peace, not just in Gaza, but all around the world and inside of us. You see, the reason why we're postponing is because there is indeed a war, but there's something that's crazy happening while there's a war being, battled, being fought, right? There's all this chatter online and in person between different peoples and people groups. There's, there's this argument going on that's saying, who has lost more people? Who has suffered more? Who has the right to feel justified in their position? As if somehow... Suffering at all is okay. As if somehow losing one child is okay. As if somehow war is ever good. When at the end of the day, when we get caught up in these battles, we're fighting the wrong battle because what we all know deep down is this reality. What we want is not some justification of a war in Gaza, but for there, be, there to be no more war at all, ever 
again, which is why what we actually need to start fighting, the battle that needs to be won in our experience, which, hear this, has already been won by Jesus, is the battle against the darkness that lies behind all of the evil and brokenness in our world. Did I hear an amen? Amen. Friends, this is what it looks like for us to be fighting the right battle. Not the wrong one, the right battle. And that is precisely where we're going this morning as we bring our study through the book of Joshua to an end, which might catch some of you by surprise because you're like, wait a second, didn't we just do chapter 10 last week? Aren't there a bunch more chapters? There are, but we'll speak to that. We're bringing this this to an end because you're going to see that what we've been talking about this whole time culminates in the passage that Christian just read for us, and it sets the view for what the rest of the book of Joshua and the rest of the story of redemption is actually all about. So where we've been, I hope you're getting bored of seeing stuff like this, because every week we put the same words on the screen. This time I changed them up a little bit so maybe you would read them differently. But, right? but, but the reality is the message of the book of Joshua has been from the beginning, do not, what? Fear. Do not be afraid. Do not give in to what's going on underneath the surface because there's more going on than you can see and I'm fighting for you. And here's my promise, I will be with you. So be strong and courageous and learn to fight differently. Fight not against one another, but with and for each other. Fight not against me, but with and for me. And as you do, I will do incredible things beyond what you could ask, wish, or imagine. Like Tommy preached last week, I'll even stop the sun in the middle of the sky for my people. I'll even decreate, which is what happens when these huge hailstones are falling from the sky. I will let creation shake and start to fall apart and do everything necessary to save my people. That's our God. And that's his heart. And as you get to know him, and as you mature in your relationship with him, you begin to trust that more and more and more. The Bible is saturated with stories like this. And today is just one more. Today's theme is simply this. Choose to fight the right battle. Choose to fight the right battle, which means we don't keep fighting the wrong ones. Three points. The glory of growing old. You weren't expecting that this morning, were you? (laughs) The glory of growing old, the call to keep fighting, and the promise of lasting peace. So first, the glory of growing old. We are fast-forwarding here, right? Chapter 10 was last week. We're in chapter 14, and we're calling it an end, an end here. But that's because for the rest of the book of Joshua, it's all about lost, lots of battles and land allotments, meaning it's simply the coming, of, of coming into fruition, the promise that was made. The promised land is now the, the land that they have. But even though they have it, even though it's come to fruition, they need to keep fighting so that the, the, the promise made, which is it's all yours, could actually be what they experience. So it's theirs, but they need to keep fighting. And the point is what we already talked about. Yahweh was with them. They're going to fight by his power, and they're going to win again and again and again. In our passage specifically for this morning, it says Caleb was given wholly to, to Yahweh God. Please don't skip over that. 
Because you know who picks up on that again and again and again? Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Caleb was given wholly to Yahweh. That's what this means. And supernatural stuff happens in this dude's life. He is 85 years old. By show of hands, show me who's 85 or older in this room, please. 85 or older. Hallelujah. Praise God. How many of you are ready to go to battle? War. 85 or older. Let me see your hands. Yes. 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 Hallelujah. Because you're already anticipating where we're going. Because this is not about picking up a rifle and heading onto the war path. This is about learning to fight the real battle. And where we're going this morning, even with this first point is, the longer you live fighting the wrong battles, the more you begin to recognize the real one and get prepared for it each and every time. Caleb does incredible stuff. He's not intimidated. He's 85, and he says he's as strong as he was at 40. Wow. As strong and as vibrant as he was at 40, 45 years earlier. How on earth does this happen? Well, it happens in a similar way that we see the story of Moses unfold, right? Moses lived 120 years, and I've heard it said, and I've said it here before, that it's three sets of 40, right? The first 40 years, Moses lived thinking he was somebody. The next 40 years, God taught him that he was nobody. So that in the final 40 years, God can make him into somebody. Does that sound like anyone's life here? Right? Not that we're going to be 120, but you get the rhythm, right? We all live thinking that we're someone until we fall on our face again and again and again. And how many times do you need to fall on your face in the same way before you learn the same lesson? If you're hard-headed like me, it's a lot, right? I didn't get looking like this without falling on my face a thousand times. That explains a lot to you, doesn't it, right? Like the reality is we have to learn these lessons. And Moses is the one who at the end of his life, after he's learned so many of them the hard way, says this, learn from my mistakes. Choose life. Follow after God in his way. It seems more complicated than it is. His way is laid out before you. Don't go after other gods. Run after Yahweh with your whole heart. And as you do, you will start to see life like you've never known before. That's Moses' message, but it's also what Caleb lives into. Caleb is a man who is transformed over time. 45 years earlier, he makes the right decision when they're on the, the plains of Moab and they send the spies in. He's one of the 12 spies. And he goes in, he's only one of two, him and Joshua, that say to the, the people of Israel, let's go do this. God's got us. We can do it because he's got us. It doesn't matter how big the giants are. It doesn't matter how big the fruit is. It doesn't matter how big the walls are. God will do this. But Caleb, even though he had faith at that moment, had to live with a community that did not have faith, and an entire generation missed out on the inheritance that God had for them. They died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. But now the two guys that had faith from the beginning, Caleb and Joshua, are there with this new generation. And he's saying, what I believed in my heart, I now see with my eyes. Let's do this thing. The beauty and the power of growing old is that 
we learn over time that what was seemingly impossible because we're looking at ourselves is actually possible when we look at him. This is our struggle and our invitation every time we face something that's bigger than us that the Bible calls a giant. I want to give God praise and glory for some of our Caleb's here this morning. And there's many more that I could have added to this list. But the Caleb's, those who've gone before us, who've lived a long life and who had incredible lessons to share, George, my George, our George, I remember him at our board meetings when things would blow up in people's lives and there'd be arrows shot at me and, and I'd be a wreck and he would just look at me and smile. It would be one of these. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen that before. Which was just an invitation to come get a hug and be reminded. We've seen this before. We'll see it again. Jesus still sits on the throne. Even in the face of conflict, we have nothing to fear because conflict is opportunity to see God work. Amen? That was a lifetime of a man who experienced conflict and who learned that God was faithful so there was nothing to fear. What about his bride, Joan? Joan, who tells the story when she first gave her life to Jesus, she lost all of her friends. And she tells it laughing, right? If I lost all my friends, I'd be crying in the corner, huddled up, shaking, right? Like, she tells it laughing. You know why? Because the friends that she lost were no friends at all. And what God gave her instead of friends was family. It was not a downgrade, but an upgrade, friends. And so, amen, we can praise God. And so from the very beginning of her faith, Jesus showed Joan that he's enough. Do you think he was preparing her for such a season as this? Yeah. He was and he is. What about Yvonne and Winslow, who, by the way, are playing hooky today? I don't know what's going on here. They're, oh, yeah, they're sick. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yvonne and Winslow, if you're watching, that's for you. Um, if, you do, if you've not met them, they are fantastic individuals who are both almost 90 years old, but the joy of the Lord is their strength. They serve and serve and serve, always with a, with a smile, always with a laugh, always ready to give a hug, and they've shown us that there is a strength that comes when you're serving the king and entering into his joy that cannot be taken away even when arthritis cripples your hands like Yvonne's are. Even when Winslow has trouble with high blood pressure and sometimes faints at conferences that might be held here, <laughs> the joy of the Lord is their strength. What about Caroline? Caroline's one of the toughest people you ever meet in your life. And when she loves you, she will go to the mat for you. And what I've seen even in this season of her life is a woman who's learned to fight not with her own strength. And she's strong. Do not mess with her. 
but a woman who's learned to fight that when the world punches you in the stomach and you're bent over and you want to punch back, God's actually put you in a very good position to get down on your knees and start praying. Years and years of fighting and learning that there's one whose strength is actually right there for us, who loves better than we do, and who will never let go. Amen? Yeah. What about sweet Sylvia? Sweet Sylvia, who also lost her beloved, Fred, but who every time I have lunch with this woman, she tells me of the love affair she's having with Jesus. And of the delight that she has found in him, even as she cries and cries in his arms because of how she misses her Fred. Can I tell you that that love affair has been passed on through the generations as Sylvia has now had the privilege of encouraging her grandson, Brandon, who's also walking through trials and tribulations as his little boy, whose name just happens to be Caleb is suffering through seizures and even right now is in the hospital. It's her words that come with power because she knows what it's like to sit at the feet of the suffering Savior and to feel his embrace even when the circumstances don't change. There are Caleb after Caleb after Caleb stories right here, friends. I could tell many more of many others in this space, but time will not allow. But you get to ask those questions. You get to take them out to lunch. You get to learn from them and invest in them and join in their joy and in their strength and learn from their wisdom because there's something about growing old that is glorious. It's where faith becomes sight. It's where conviction becomes confidence. It's where promise becomes assignment. It's where conflict becomes opportunity. And don't miss this last one. I want you to look at the side of my head as I read this. <laughs> Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness, friends. What is he talking about? The very point we've been making. As you get older and as you earn every one of these gray hairs... You earn them, right? You learn something about the way of righteousness, the right way of living, meaning the right relationship into which you lean. You learn something. And when I'm weak, he's strong. He's not asking me to be him. He's asking me to trust him. That investing in this love affair is the most important thing I do because when the bottom falls out, he's never going to let me go. We have glory in our midst, friends. Don't miss your opportunity to taste some of it. If you don't know our Caleb's, get to know them. Invest and receive what God has for you. Second point for us this morning, that was only... Point one, friends. <laughs> it's going to be a long morning. 
the call to keep fighting. Caleb, this 85-year-old guy, says, give me what was promised. I want the hill country. Don't miss what's being said there. Hill, high places in the Old Testament, is a picture of where they would gather for worship. And so they have this city that the Anakim, the giants, lived in. At this point in the story, when we hear giants and walls, we should be bored. Oh, more giants. Oh, wow, right? Another wall to take down as if God doesn't do that with his eyes closed, right? Like, this is the point of this story again and again and again. God's saying, what's impossible for you is not just possible for me. I keep doing it, and I'm doing it in my sleep. Bing, 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 bing. I don't even need to look, but he does because he cares, because he loves us. Because he wants us in our lives to see that where we are stuck behind the walls of our own building, where we are afraid to attack the walls of the things that we think hold the giants in our lives, God wants us to see again freshly, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is what it means to follow me. Keep fighting. There's more. Caleb attacks the city of Arba, and there's this little footnote in our text, it's a parenthetical reference in the text that we read for this morning, that it's named after the father of Anak, or the Anakim, those who are come from Anak, which is the line of the giants. He's the greatest of the giants, but as Caleb takes the city, he renames it Hebron, which means friend. Now, I want to lean in here for just a second to give you a little bit of redemptive history as to why this matters. Hebron, before Joshua, has a pivotal place in the role of God's people and the unfolding story when Abram is still doesn't have any kids and he's wondering how God is going to bless, uh, bless me and make me to a father of many nations. And it says he's sitting underneath the oaks of Mamre and then God comes to him in human form and it happens to be three guys. Hmm, what's God saying to us right there? Three in one, right? Trinitarian language. God comes to him as three guys and promises that there's going to be a miraculous birth because Sarai is already barren. She's already gone through. She's had her hot flashes, ladies, right? She's already done that, right? She's on the other side of it. There's no humanly possible way that Sarai is going to have a baby. But God appears to Abram and says, you're not only going to have a baby, you're going to have a baby that's going to be the father of many nations. He's going to be the promised seed through which my promise to the world is going to come. And a year later, that's exactly what happens. But as we gather at Christmas time and we hear the story of a miracle birth, we should already be hearing the whispers of Jesus in this story. Every story whispers Jesus' name. Every one of them. What about Sarah's tomb in Genesis chapter 23? Well, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, when she dies... Abraham buys a tomb to bury her bones in, and that is the first kind of down payment. That's the first inbreaking into the promised land for the people of God. Do you know where that's found? Hebron. And so right away, God's saying it's going to come, the promise is going to come through a miraculous birth, but the promised land is going to be bought through death. Who else does that sound like to you? Then you see the original battle lines when they, when they come up in Numbers 13 to the promised land and they send the 12 spies in. What city did they come to? Hebron. And they see there a city overcome with three giants, a trinity, if you will, of giants, all called the sons of Anak. 
Does that sound like anything to you? There are spiritual battle lines being drawn here, and every one of them is designed to point us to the bigger story, the bigger story that is in Jesus. Now, because of Joshua coming and and being obedient and following God into Hebron, here's what happens when Caleb goes in, right? You see a redemption, a restoration, and a renewal. Caleb doesn't just drive out those three sons. He destroys them, harem warfare. Right? Because he's trying to take back what belongs to Yahweh. But then you see, as the story unfolds, Hebron becomes something else. It's not just Caleb's inheritance. Hebron becomes what's called a city of refuge. Think about this for just one second. A city of refuge was a place in Israel, Old Testament Israel, where if you mistakenly killed someone, manslaughter is what we call it today, Right? You, you were out farming and your, your plow ran over somebody. Or you were dropping a stone you know, from your roof for God knows what reason and it hit somebody. Right, like If you're running from the family of the person you just killed, you can run to a city of refuge. And there the elders will hear your story and if they deem that it was involuntary, you can live there in freedom, not be killed. But if you left the city... You're fair game to the, the person who was called the avenger of blood. Now, why are we talking about this? Who's more vulnerable on the entire planet than someone who has mistakenly killed another person and now their entire family wants to kill you? Who's being pursued by death itself more than that particular person? When God comes and takes back this city from the giants, he redeems this to, and turns it into a place that was, from, from what it was, which was a, a place of violence, a place of false worship, a place that was anti-God, to a place of mercy. And if, if you read in, in Numbers about the city of refuge, it says this, if you stay in that city, you'll be free to go, free to leave, when one thing happens. You know what that one thing was? When the high priest died. Wait, what? What what does that even mean? Why does it even make a difference when the high priest dies? Who's the great high priest according to the book of Hebrews? Jesus. When the great high priest dies, guess what no longer has any dominion over us? Death. But it's only as long as we stay in the city that he actually is. 